thread of history, tea house poems to nurture the past and rewild the spirit, a podcast by Caroline Kirjan. Episode 4, The Ritual of Craft. Hi to everyone. I'm back with a new episode after a bit of a break over the holidays and early in the year. So today's a beautiful, beautiful sunny day here in Quebec City, and I hope everyone is safe and well, and that the new year is bringing you a measure of hope after a bit of a rough uh, beginning. I thank you all for your continued support and interest in this podcast. And I would like to introduce you uh, today to a sort of a revised concept, uh, a revised concept or approach to this podcast. But not to worry, I will be continuing to explore the same overarching theme, continuing to dig into my fascination with our understanding of the past as a culture, as individuals, and how that understanding or misunderstanding colors our present lives. So the revised approach of this podcast that I propose actually came about as I began to realize that I simply couldn't separate my writing uh, and my podcasting from my artistic practice. Um, The two areas of endeavor are native to me. Uh, They're a part of me and belong to me in such a way that I can't really truly separate one from the other. So after a lot of deep thinking on the subject, I ultimately decided that the best way to honor this uh, complexity was to evoke the creative struggle behind each piece as a way to evoke and illustrate the intellectual struggle of thinking through whatever ideas or problems each episode of this podcast is trying to tackle. So what I'm suggesting is to embark on a sort of journey uh, made up of personal ritual, one which seeks to honor the creative process and the resulting work in all its intricacies. It's an idea that I think might benefit some of you, my listeners, um, especially if you happen to be artistically inclined in some way. But it can also benefit anyone really who wants to honestly think through his or her life journey. This idea of a ritual or of a kind of pilgrimage through the artistic or creative process is actually one that that, uh, can be applied to any one of our lives. We have so few authentic rituals left in this world that I think this one might be of genuine value to me and to you as well. But let's figure out how this might work. I'll begin by telling you a bit about the work of art itself that I'm talking about in particular today. Uh, the work that will basically inspire today's thoughts about the ritual of craft. It's a piece that I chose to call an heirloom art doll or Pandora figurine. What is that exactly? Well, a Pandora doll or Queen Anne doll uh, was a type of figurine that was used to model the latest fashions during the 17th and 18th centuries. This was, of course, before the advent of fashion plates or magazines. My own figurine, the one uh, I'm just now finishing up, is titled Remembering New France. It's about uh, a foot and a half tall, maybe about two feet tall actually, maybe a bit larger than that. And it's made out of fabric, wire, and clay, and is built around a complex structure which actually gave me a lot of grief. Um, But the aspect of the doll, which is, I think, most noteworthy, is that her dress her costume actually incorporates a small oil painting, which I modeled after a work in the collection of the Augustine Monastery here in Quebec City. 
I realized that the overall design of the doll might be a bit difficult for you to visualize, so I will try to post an image on Instagram shortly in case you'd like to see her. Um, and my Instagram address is a thread of history, like the title of the podcast. So that's a underscore thread underscore of underscore history. The making of this piece of art was, I hate to admit it, kind of laborious um, and very challenging. Uh, not only had I never really made a realistic or even hyper-realistic doll before or figurine, but I had to contend with the generalized indifference of family and friends, and even sometimes with downright disapproval. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever struggled to create a piece of work that was beautiful when everyone around you was being completely critical? <laughs> if so, I would love to hear from you, because it's a situation that I've often found myself in, actually. Notwithstanding the fact that the art of doll making is not one we're particularly familiar with as a culture here in the West, but even just the simple act of making something with one's hands is not an activity we value as North Americans and as modern day office workers more generally. So I struggled on in the face of this indifference and disapproval, inspired by the one book I found whose colorful pages revealed to me an entire world of antique Neapolitan and continental dolls all of them arranged in fascinating and theatrical settings. So I wasn't crazy, I thought to myself. Other people, other cultures, and other eras had also valued and developed this particular art form. They had also seen it as speaking a unique kind of language. Though sewing the oil painting to the doll's dress was a technical feat unto itself, I think it was molding and sculpting the clay head that posed the greatest challenge. And when I succeeded, I was so, so proud of myself. But it's not just the art doll or whatever work you're finishing up that honors the idea of ritual and pilgrimage. It's the idea of craft work itself being central to the journey. Of craft as meditation, of craft as contemplative practice, of craft as a vital link to the past. Was this what I was consciously or unconsciously trying to say when I painted and sewed that small portrait of the Madonna and child onto the doll's dress? I think it probably was. I see craft as a spiritual language, a spiritual language of rootedness, of history. A craftsperson's job is half meditation, half creation. Making things with one's own hands cultivates a certain generosity and openness of the heart. It nourishes that state of mind in the craftsperson themselves, which is intimately connected with an entire way of life. That's actually a quote from a Japanese artist called Osamu Nakamura, um, which I took sorry, from the book The Abundance of Less by Andy Couturier. I, it's a book I quoted in a previous episode as well. And I really, really love this quote. How can we describe or even define this way of life that he speaks of? What does this craftsman mean exactly? What is at bottom the spiritual language of rootedness that we're talking about? Well, let's travel back in time just a bit to the last episode of this podcast. In that episode, I was telling you a bit about my personal history, about my feelings of connection, of rootedness in the past, and in particular, in my French Canadian past. I was telling you about my grandmother, Grandmama, as I used to call her, and about her own challenging journey. As I gaze out through my window at this moment, I'm looking down at the St. Lawrence River, 
the slowly moving ice flows, the frozen landscape on the other side of the river. The river of time, we could call it, with capital R and capital T. The mighty river of time that flows through all our lives. In the Western world, we mostly understand time as flowing in a single, powerful, forward motion. We see time as following a straight, linear direction, like an arrow pointing to a mostly better point sometime in the future. The challenge I'm proposing through this podcast is actually to begin to understand time as it is in reality. I propose to understand time as flowing into the past as well as the present and the future. In other words, my aim is to evoke and explore what we may as well call deep time. And I firmly believe that the idea of craft, of contemplative crafts, is an important portal onto the reality of deep time. This belief is one I try to communicate, as mentioned, through the creative process, in the case of the doll titled Remembering New France. As I explained to you a bit earlier in this episode, her dress is actually made up of a small oil painting modeled after 17th century work in the collection of the Monastery of the Augustines. This monastery's mission was to minister to the sick and the dying, and its mission was carried out all through the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries. Today, it's been actually transformed into an important health and spirituality center, still located within its historic stone walls on the Rue des Remparts in Old Quebec. We actually had the opportunity to stay there two summers ago, and the experience was really, really wonderful. I loved the original low doors, the deep windows kind of looking out onto the Laurentian Mountains, the corridors lined with large glowing oil paintings and religious statuary. I, I have to say that it was especially impressive in the dark of night when the figures in the old portraits seemed to kind of peer out at you insistently. <laughs> in those moments, I really felt like I could simply reach out, touch and feel the past. In those moments, deep time seemed to resonate and bloom within me. So I do believe that deep time actually incorporates time on a human scale, as well as on an evolutionary or even geological scale. I see deep time as a single space, not flowing in a single direction, but occupying and flowing through many spaces all at once. The work, and what might even say the art of craft, presents us with a vast and complicated portal onto deep time. But the idea can be difficult to grasp at first. And there's a book which has helped me gain a better understanding of this fact. It was authored by the British archaeologist and historian Alexander Langlands. Langlands is also known, by the way, for having collaborated on a number of fascinating historical TV series in Britain such as um, Tales from the Green Valley and others. They're really, really interesting. You can look them up on YouTube if you're curious. So he's a bit of a TV personality as well as a serious academic. And I like and admire these different aspects of his impressive career. The book I'm referring to here is Langland's Craft, an inquiry into the origins and true meaning of traditional crafts. And he followed this book up with a second book, uh, which is titled Craft, How Traditional Crafts Are About More Than Just Making, published in 2017. But I haven't yet had the chance to dig into that one just yet. So Langland's prefaces, excuse me, his first book 
by examining the origins and history of the word itself, the word craft. In particular, he finds that the word craft, uh, spelt C-R-A-E-F-T, the old spelling, is used over and over again by the medieval English king Alfred the Great in his translations of ancient Latin texts. On many occasions, King Alfred uses craft, he says, to translate the Latin virtus, meaning virtue, in the sense of spiritual skill or excellence. In more recent times, the term crafty became associated with the idea of slyness, almost underhandedness. And Langland sees this unfortunate association as originating, quote, he says, in the rise of formal knowledge and an emergent snobbery towards manual art artisan skill, unquote. The author then cites one of my all-time favorite writers, who is Thomas Hardy, and I was really taken with this comparison. He cites Hardy's 1895 novel, Jude the Obscure, who, if you're unfamiliar with this literary figure, is a highly skilled stonemason who spends his entire life desperately hoping for his painfully gained intellectual achievements to finally be recognized by the denizens of the University of Christminster, standing for Oxford. And aren't we all just a little bit like Jude, come to think of it? Aren't we all a bit guilty of looking down on those eternally, quote, obscure people who engage in lowly crafts as opposed to supposedly highbrow intellectual exercises? It's useful to remember that this idea is a modern one, that our view of crafts as inferior to intellectual work has a starting point, a history. Alexander Langlands invites us to divest ourselves of this kind of snobbish thinking and he's absolutely right to do so. He invites us to rid ourselves of a mode of thinking that is actually extremely narrow-minded in order to rediscover the original meaning of the term craft, one that is over a thousand years old. Langlands hopes to, quote, repossess the term crafty in order to, quote, embrace it as a form of knowledge, not just a knowledge of making, but a knowledge of being. This idea of a knowledge of being is of great importance to us because as Langland says, lost in the midst of a culture dictated by mass production and mass consumerism, quote, it seems we are finally coming back to this notion that making has a spiritual element to it, end quote. Though his book mainly focuses on agricultural and what might, one might call uh, traditional homesteading skills, I guess you'd say, I believe that it's easy enough and also necessary to extrapolate his underlying message to fine crafts and even to the fine arts more broadly. Making is a knowledge of being, a spiritual knowledge of being, he says. It is no coincidence that Langlands finishes his book with a chapter titled Craft and Contemplation. Harking back to the writings of John Ruskin, the author believes that industrial manufacturing processes rob us of the power of contemplation. Mass production robs us of, quote, the thoughts that exercise the mind in silence and solitude. Langlands ends his book with a heartfelt call to rediscover and recapture the truth of the contemplative practice of making in a world dictated by mass production 
mass consumption and thus massive environmental degradation. I would like us to honestly heed this call to truly embrace this message. I began this episode by inviting you to join me on a journey, a journey of personal ritual, one which seeks to honor the creative process and the resulting work in all its intricacies, I said. I'm confident that this journey is one which any one of us can embark upon, given the right mindset. Whether you're creating dolls or crafting furniture or building houses or painting portraits or sewing clothes, the journey of making, of letting oneself be guided by the creative process allows us to push back a heavy, heavy curtain. It's the curtain that separates what philosophers call the vita activa, our everyday agitated lives, and the vita contemplativa, the interior life, the life of the mind. Thus, the ritual of craft, of silent and solitary making, becomes a kind of prayer, a pushing back of the curtain onto deep living, deep being, and deep time. Join me next time as I continue to explore these ideas and introduce you to the brilliant authors and thinkers who guide us along in our quest to understand and embrace the importance of nurturing the past in order to rewild the spirit. 